Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spark Hub podcast. My name is Alan and this one is a fascinating one. I get to speak with Jalen, who is an educator. She didn't start off that way. She had a very unlikely start and route into the profession. But nonetheless, from that point forward, she ended up uh, becoming an educator around the world in several different countries. And this discussion spans a lot of topics, but we try to talk really about What's happening in the classroom? What are the common threads around the world? What are the insights into different forms of teaching uh, in different sort of environments? We talk about hybrid classrooms, the effect of COVID. We talk about social bullying, coping strategies. And fundamentally, we dive into how social media is affecting kids of all ages in and outside the classroom. And, and is there a way, which is the still an open question, to balance both technology and analog teaching, so-called old-fashioned teaching. I won't keep you any further from this episode except to apologize for a small mistake on my part. In the beginning, uh, I mispronounced Jalen's name. Uh, it's it's Jalen, but it's spelt with a letter C, so I said Celine. Good news for me, Jalen was a great sport and she said her name has multiple pronunciations, so I didn't feel so bad. As always, in the show notes below this episode, I've put links to various related pieces of content and without further ado, please enjoy this discussion with Jalen. Cool. So we're recording now, and uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just start <clears throat> loosen up a little. <laughs> um. Uh, um, hi, Celine. Welcome to Spark Hub. Really appreciate you joining today. As is tradition, we're going to open with a quote that you like, and then we'll dive into some discussion. Sure. So my quote is, believe you can, and you're halfway there. Theodore Roosevelt did. <laughs> really, really good quote. So, Celine, <laughs> I would love to hear about your background, because you're an educator, but it sounds like you, you didn't plan to end up there. Actually. Exactly. I didn't, actually. I studied um, translation, simultaneous translation, and study of translations at uni. I mean, it was too much time consuming, let's say. So I started working in the field of public relations. And then we got married, my husband and I. We moved to Geneva. We came back. We were three then. Our daughter was a year and a half. And I wanted to go back to working, obviously. Um, my old company kindly offered me these great clients. But the PR world, as most people know, it doesn't have any time limits. It can start at 7 in the morning and end at, I don't know, 2 in the morning. So the Sunday before I was supposed to start, on, I was going to start on Monday, Sunday, I had this vision and I said to my husband, I'm not going back into the PR field anymore. I'll do something else. And he was kind of like, are you sure? Because we need the, the finances. You know, it was just, I mean, we had just started you know, new. And I said, no, no, don't worry. And then, um, ironically, a friend of my mom's, she was like, you know what, Jalen, I think you should become a teacher. Because a uh, teacher with young kids, you have the, the holidays. <laughs> you have a long summer holiday, you have the Christmas holiday, you have the winter holiday. And she said, I think you should just take some, I had to get, take some tests, exams. And then I said, great idea. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And I started in the, it's called the Boazice Bosphorus University in Istanbul. So I started teaching 18-year-olds, the, the ones who did not have enough English to continue their education. 
So we got them ready for the proficiency exam. We had about 40 kids in the classroom, all sorts of young kids, you know, the, the ones who came from the remote, the remote areas of Turkey, um, the ones who had the drive and the ones who did not have the drive. So it was a, it was a very mixed class. So I did that for about two and a half years. And then I went into the testing department where we had to prepare the the exams, the entrance exams, the proficiency exams. So that was a great experience. It was wonderful. And then we had to move again. So we moved to Dublin. By then we had our second child. Um, and then we moved to Singapore. In Singapore, our children, they were going to go to the French lycée there. So the day that we went to to inscribe them, we, I mean, the, the lady was like, oh, so what do you do? I said, I'm a teacher. She said, oh, fantastic. There's a post. Why don't you apply for it in Singapore? But it was for elementary kids. So I was like, okay, sure. Why not? And then I got the job. I was like, yeah, fantastic. So I worked in Singapore in the French system for seven years. I was in the elementary school, though. So no more 18-year-olds. I was with these little kids, you know, and I had to, I was teaching different levels, beginners, advanced, intermediate. Um, the beginners were very challenging because for the French, it's very difficult to learn English. So if, at the end of a school year, if I would ask the kids, so how are you? The kid would be like, I am five. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, it, I'm not asking you, how old are you? It's like, how are you? <laughs> So if the kid got the right answer, we're like, yeah, we got it. Yay. So seven years, great seven years there. We, I had a fantastic um, English team. And we had to, I mean, what, what happens with the French system is they try to change everything overnight, but it doesn't always work. So it was kind of like trial, error, success, but great seven years. And then after Singapore, we moved back to Turkey. And then again, I was in the French system teaching. This time I had the last year of kindergarten up to the age of nine. So there it was a very different curriculum um, because the kids in, in, the, in the French lycée in, in Turkey, in Istanbul, they have to, Turkish is the, let's call, they call it long vivant French education, Turkish, and then English comes as a second language or a third language. So it wasn't really... It wasn't that challenging. It was challenging, but not like in Singapore. Singapore, the, the French they said there was very competitive. So we're like, yeah, you know, we can do it. Entering all these competitions, essay writing, poetry. So it was very different. And then we moved to London. In London, I applied again for a full-time job. And then I was like, maybe not because our son was studying for, I mean, getting ready for his baccalaureate exam. He was in the French system. But then I was lucky that I got another job in another French lycée. So now I'm teaching in the French lycée in London in a smaller one for high school kids. And I do ESL with them, English as a second language. So the kids who don't have enough foundation I try to teach them, you know, the, the tools to deal with the IGCACs and all that exams, those exams. So that's my kind of story. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm a teacher, but I didn't plan on becoming a teacher. <laughs> but I love what I do. So What a journey. And I, I, I have a marketing background myself, and I can relate to when I had my first son, uh, when my wife and I had our first son, the hours you have to put in, you know, you're expected to be Basically. there. 
on movies, on, on film sets, on, on ad sets. And, and yeah, it, it wasn't conducive to being available. And I think your instinct as a mother to be available mm -hmm. to your children is yeah, yeah, probably yeah. A, is a powerful one. And I exactly. think that's what sets your kids up for life and gives them the scaffolding. Mm, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't regret it at all. I really, I'm just, I mean, I, I was really lucky to be able to become a teacher. <laughs> So, and to have this job. So I have a bunch of questions that come to mind, but what I wanted to start with was having taught in all these different countries, is there something that you see in different countries that seems a better way to teach? That might be the wrong word, but a, a sort of more useful way to teach versus somewhere that may have a more strict way. Because what I wonder is in all these different environments, what was more of a academically driven environment versus a creative driven environment? Because ultimately, wherever you come from in the world, the future is now unknown. We don't know what the jobs are going to be. There's going to be automation. And so what are the skills that you saw in different countries? Like, wow, they've thought that through and they've baked that into the curriculum versus route learning and, and, and let's say the standardized learning that isn't for standardized kids. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. So in Singapore, when I was there, so we're talking about 10 years ago, I mean, IT wasn't really being used in the classrooms. We had our white screen. We were, you know, yeah, we were, we weren't, I mean, the kids didn't have their iPads. The kids didn't have their Chromebooks. So it was quite the old fashioned way of teaching. And so I'm comparing year by year as time progresses in, in Istanbul, no IT whatsoever. But in London, Chromebooks are huge. We incorporate technology into our the old-fashioned way of teaching. I'm an old-fashioned teacher, so I think kids need to use, they need to learn how to write and use their penmanship and be creative. As you say, we don't know what the future is going to be like, and I know that IT is going to play a huge part. So we are trying our best to get the kids creative using IT. So like during the lockdown, um, so it was all online. So we were using Google Classroom, um, Zoom, this and that. And the kids were obviously sending everything through the Google Classroom. But now that we're teaching one-to-one, -one, physically we're at school, personally, I asked them to give me a piece of paper rather than a Google document, because then I can sit next to them and say, so when you look at it, do you recognize your own mistakes? What do you think? If I circle it, take a good, because when they're typing, it comes automatically to them and they rush through it. Whereas when you're writing, um, it just, it, there's a better connection, I think, with your thoughts and what goes on the paper rather than what goes on the screen. I mean, the word that pops to mind is hybrid, right? Mm, I think yeah. Yeah. Um, as 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 a, an observation I made when the pandemic happened and our and our children were held at home and had to use iPads and our home became an education space a working space a living space it was horrendous mm, and 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 especially for children that are are kinetic that are social um, the standardized question I said is because we have interestingly two very different children one is very kinetic and, and needs socialization the other one is just happy on his own with his iPad. And, okay. hates, and hates writing. But the reason mm -hmm. I, I bring up the hybrid model is because what COVID did for us as parents, and, and especially for the education system, which is where I'm going with my question, yes. is it, it forced a new way of working on us that was unfamiliar. 
and not necessarily bad, but now that we have the classroom back, um, do you feel there's a, I mean, now that you're teaching in London, you mentioned Singapore 10 years ago, but now that you're teaching in the UK, do you find there's a heavier uh, administrative request to use tech rather than uh, writing? Because I do agree that a connection with the page is wonderful. And especially one of my sons loves to draw. So mm -hmm. he has a connection with that. And he doesn't want to do it on an iPad. He wants a page yes. off the printer. Given this new hybrid way of working, it can be, it can be with tech, it can be remote. Are you finding there's a way to get the best of all worlds in your teaching? Absolutely. So if I have, let's say, a group of kids, 11-year-olds, I have them, let's say, two to five hours per week, I do try to allocate an hour with the Chromebooks. So I would be like, okay, you know, do your research. Let's share what you found, project it on the screen. That's a great search, you know, well done. Um, I mean, I do it, yeah, one, one hour per week, I do. But what happened is when these kids, because if you remember last year in April, we all came back to school with our masks on. We were physically present in our classrooms. And the kids, when they arrived at school, they were, they had changed. They didn't, they forgot how to sit. They didn't have the capacity to focus. They all were like playing around fidgety. I mean, it was just like mayhem after COVID when these kids came back into the actual classroom. So it was very difficult to not control them, but to have productive lessons with them because it, they would just like barge in and out and talk from one corner to another. They forgot the, the, the atmosphere of a classroom. They forgot etiquette by the sounds yeah, of it. No. Exactly, exactly. But so last year was difficult, but this year when we started in September, it was back to the old routine. Great. You know, the kids were calmer. They were happier because I think they were really worried as well last year. Um, so, I mean, in, gen in general, what I do, because I do language and literature with them, it's one hour per week we work with our Chromebooks. One of the things I would like to say is imagine the future for a minute, because I know it's hard to, but imagine <laughs> we've had COVID, suddenly the working is hybrid, classrooms are hybrid, uh, or, or stay at home. So there's, there's, this, there's this world of remote working, which if you get the right balance can be very productive. But as you observed, it can be completely anti-productive if kids lose etiquette, social skills. Creative thinking, nothing. They, it was just like blank for them because they were in front of a screen for yeah. seven hours, six hours per day. So where, where I'm going with this is that what I'm trying to do is project forward. So what, what yeah. can they learn now that's beneficial for the future? And one of the, the things I, I would mention is as someone who had to stay home uh, working wise, I mean, it was okay. And, and, and we had a business and so we know what we're doing, but the, the skill of being in a, in a room with your colleagues with a whiteboard, ideation, creativity, sorting out problems, you know, that is so efficient. And even if you do it two or three days a week with your colleagues in whatever, whatever you end up doing in life, in any business or in any job or in anything, I think that's an essential skill Absolutely. to be able to draw, to be able to get your thoughts onto a board. And you don't have to digitize it all the time. You can... Whatever method you do, if you like to sketch on an iPad and project, great. But if you like to use paper, great. If you like to use boards, great. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I guess coming back to what 
preparing for that future where potentially, you know, you do have some days where you need to be kinetic, you need to be human. You cannot replace that with technology. No, no. Um, it seems to me an essential skill. And so coming back to the classroom environment, are you finding that you need to now have multiple channels to teach? So you say, guys, look, you can draw on paper, you can draw on boards, you can get your ideas out. You can also use Chromebooks, but you only have so many hours in a day. And so yes. I wonder if the curriculum has changed to, to, to teach that way, or if you as a teacher have to take that on the yourself. Curriculum hasn't changed, but technology has taken over. I mean, the French system is a very rigid system and it hasn't changed. There are certain ways of doing things. There are certain ways of formatting what you're handing in or writing down. There's a certain way of thinking and projecting that on the paper. So the curriculum hasn't changed. It's the way we are teaching that's changing, which is incorporating technology into the teaching. So, um, I mean, the kids, they like in, in my case, I think my kids, they like discussions. So each class I would start with. So how was your weekend? What have you done? What was the high point? What is the low point? So it's, we, I, we, they like to discuss. They like to share their ideas, these kids. They all have a story to tell. They really do all have a story to tell, and they love to be heard. So that's what, how we start. And then depending on the topic, let's say if we're doing, I don't know, language, let's say we're doing, I don't know, homophones or, or metaphors. So then I'll, if I have the Chromebooks, I'll be like, okay, so let's find a poem full of metaphors work in pairs, you find the poem, and then you underline or you write down the metaphors or the strong adjectives. And then that's, we continue and then we're like, okay, so let's rewrite it. Use your own words. So it's, they're involved. The IT is there as well. The technology is there as well. But it's old fashioned still. I mean, when you ask them, you know, so do you have an iPad? They're all like, yeah, I have an iPad, but they all have boundaries at home. So it's like, two hours during the weekend. Anyway, that two hours is going to become three, four, five, and then they're going to be walking around with these the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I don't want them to be addicted to all this IT tools now. There will be time for that as they grow older. For example, I look at my son. He's at uni. First year, everything is online. He hasn't written down anything, everything, his, you know, the, the, the readings, but he doesn't have a book. He doesn't have a subject book. It's all online. We are getting them ready and they are very much aware of what awaits them. They, they're excited about all these different prospects, you know, technology and, and uh, they had to do, we were studying ads. So, you know, the, the language um, and Believe it or not, so I had CZMs, there were about 48 kids in two different classes. More than half of them wanted to prepare an A4 and A3 paper, design it themselves, and then present it in the classroom. Because I gave them the option. I said, you know, you could use your computers, you know, and design things or do it manually the old-fashioned way and most of them preferred the old-fashioned way interesting but you gave yeah. them the option you gave them the option though. i always give them the option one of the things that i that i've observed and i wanted to put past you it's, it's my own hypothesis but i wanted to ask you this as an educator 
one of the things I think happened slightly pre-pandemic and then definitely during the pandemic is what I call, or what I've understood to be floating anxiety, right? And, and it affects everybody. The floating anxiety kicked in when devices, uh, you know, as you say, there was an addiction to, to devices and content, what they call the TikTok brain, perhaps. And then the pandemic hit and, and it was brutal for parents, for teachers, for everybody. However, one thing I have observed as a parent is that every generation doesn't respect some of the vices of the past generation. So, for example, when I was growing up, there was lots of anti-drink driving campaigns. So by the time I got my driver's license, the being a designated driver was a thing. Started putting horrendous warnings on packages with lungs and all the kind of stuff because clearly smoking was bad for you and, and, and so on and so forth. Now, if you think about my generation and even this generation, they don't really drink. They don't really smoke. Uh, they're very aware of their bodies. They're very aware of health. They, 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 they're so much more aware than we were of, of how to take care of themselves, how to eat. And it's almost innate. It's almost natural. And a lot of it comes through digital content. The point I'm trying to make is I'm, I wonder if, if the current issues with social media, TikTok brain, being addicted to Facebook, all of that kind of stuff seems to be dying. And I say that because when I looked at a report recently uh, for Facebook, they're struggling because the, the minimum age is 13 to join the network and nobody's joining now. Our generation is there. I still use social media, but I don't use it in an addictive way. And I, and I wonder if, you know, if you predict or if at least maybe you're seeing these children, one floating anxiety that they've had to deal with because a generation of people were addicted to their phones and they're suddenly saying, yeah, I, I like the technology, I use the technology, but it's not going to control me. I wonder if that mindset's sitting in, just like drinking and smoking didn't set in for my generation because the previous generation did it. So I wonder if you have, it's a hypothesis I have. I'm not saying it's, it's proven, but I'm starting to see that it's uncool to be on your device all the time. It's uncool to constantly, and, and because I'm seeing that, I'm letting our kids have free reign. As long as they're watching quality content uh, and with the subtitles so they can learn how to read as well, this is not a problem for us. We don't limit them. But by the way, they get bored of that quick and say, hey, let's go outside, let's do things. It seems like they have their own opinion of tech, which for many people, including parents and teachers, was a bit of a time suck. So I wonder if you've observed that in, in them returning to the classroom. Well, in my case, Mike, the kids that I teach, they are between the age of 11 until 14. Um, so Facebook is passe for them. They find Facebook boring and very old-fashioned, and they're not interested at all. Their um, addiction is to Snapchat and TikTok. So all they do actually is Snapchat and TikTok. Snapchat has a map, and they tell me, like, if they go out to a mall or to, I don't know, King's Road with their friends, the 14-year-olds, they look at the Snapchat map and see their friends and if there's one near King's Road, they're like, oh, let's meet up. But Facebook is passé for them. So they are, um, they're more involved in the present. Facebook is actually about the past because we found our long lost friends, we, our high school friends, our elementary school friends. But these kids are living very fast. And in the present, it's TikTok and Snapchat. Are you worried about the development of what they call TikTok brain or, or just... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it does concern me and it, it is worrying. Snapchat is worrying. TikTok is definitely worrying. Um, they're out there, these kids. 
they have different names. You know, they don't use their real names. Oh, right. The online, the online identity. Mm, mm, well, that, I mean, that's a concern for me is, is, you know, we're of a generation that we had our identity solidified in the real world before social media came along. And now if you grow up thinking, you know, online is real. So I guess that the, the conundrum for the teacher is, and this is my point about what is the, the version that you teach kids? Or I'm, I'm, again, I'm just asking this openly. When I was growing up, I was taught not to smoke. I was taught not to drink and drive. It was overt in the classroom. It was overt in advertising. Is Do you see there'll be a moment where we have to teach kids the dangers of TikTok and Snapchat? Is there is there something in the curriculum to say, guys, the technology's there, but here are the pitfalls. And are you able to, do you feel that there's going to be a curriculum to educate them about that kind absolutely, of thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cyberbullying. It's a huge thing. I mean, we have a, we have, Quite a few girls who have been involved in cyberbullying by their peers. So we, we, of course, it has to be incorporated into um, the curriculum. Just like you mentioned, you know, in our days it was smoking, drinking, drink driving. Now it's cyberbullying, putting boundaries with your technology. Absolutely. But I guess it's, it's learning coping mechanisms because the technology is not going away, but at least if you know the pros and the cons. And, and that's why I wonder. So if, if that's where does that fall? I mean, clearly it's, it's the obligation of, I hope, curriculums and teachers and educators to say, guys, let's look at this stuff so you know about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I also imagine parents have to have resources as well and they have to find ways to, to have those discussions um, you know, in the same way. Well, it all starts in the house, I think, at home, because the, the, the kids have to be taught at home by their parents about the consequences of doing bad things on Snapchat or TikTok. And then in the classroom, yeah, it, the, the topic does come up and we do discuss it with the kids. They, you know, verbally, they talk about their concerns or um what they've seen sometimes they're at awe and they're kind of surprised and shocked and we talk about it and i try to tell them to set boundaries and be very very vigilant it's a dark world out there the background of my kids of course they come from you know parents who are involved in their lives so they are aware they are aware there are few that want to risk more (laughs) you see it um but they're conscious, yeah. Let me let me challenge you in a way. Let me reach back in time and pull forward your your PR marketing. Oh no! <laughs> and say if you were to have to write now, you're an educator. You're in the you're in the trenches. You're seeing it firsthand. You're seeing the effect, the the effects of technology, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. You're trying to prepare the children for the future. But as a PR person, do you feel there's campaigns that need to be written? You know, or, or sorry, not even written, but campaigns that need to be put online? Uh, and if so, what shape should they take? What, what do you think would be the most effective way to, to get the dangers of social media into kids' heads? Is it via social media even? Mm. Or video? You know, we use this platform Twinkle. I'm sure you know Twinkle. So they have set lesson plans. And Twinkle is a vast pool of information. You know, you go on Twinkle and it's just like amazing. It's an amazing educational tool so in with with twinkle they actually have set lesson plans about cyberbullying so i mean we could we always share them with our kids as well but 
from a PR perspective, how can they incorporate that? Let me add to that, if I may. So mm. go back in time, our generations growing up with PR marketing around smoking and drinking and the hazards yeah. of... It was visual. And so Twinkle, I've, and by the way, I've not heard of it, but now I have, which is great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I just wonder what you're seeing as the toolkit. You know, what... I mean, clearly it's video from my perspective. Kids love video. So what I'm wondering is, you know, if you're, if you're producing videos, for example, to teach the dangers in a, in, a, in a way that makes the kids think, is it truth and reconciliation type videos? Is it very adverse, you know, like, like smoking? Like, look, this is what could happen if mm. you do too much. You know, again, I, I, I refer to your PR hat because I know that you're an educator and you want to make a difference. But what are the what is the toolkits you see now that are good? Twinkle being one of them. But are there other tools? Are there other sources of information? Other places to go for parents and teachers to to get great content to make sure that you know kids are aware of this type of stuff. Gov UK. <laughs> uh, well, if you're thinking, it might mean there's a gap. Yeah, there's a gap. I'm thinking because I'm trying to think like I, I take to overground to work. Um, I mean, I, I do a lot of walking around. I don't see a lot of visual ads or, or things that catch my eye. And I would take a picture and show it to my students. No, I don't. There is a gap. There's absolutely a gap. I remember when I was in the States um, between, you know, shows, there were obviously commercials. And one of them was, do you know where your children are? It would come up and you would be like, how silly. When I was younger, I was like, oh, are they out of their minds? But it was, it hit home. Do you know where your children are? So, I mean, it could be, it could be done in such a way that the parents have a, you know, a moment of truth. Oh, okay. So let's see what has happened on TikTok. Let's see if the kid is again on a Snapchat map. Um, because they are missing out on the daily activities whilst they're on Snapchat and TikTok, I think, because it's like that they start stalking. You know how on Instagram you start stalking? It's the same with, with um, TikTok. So, I mean, there has to be limitations. And absolutely, I agree with you. There has to be a way to, as the anti-smoking, anti-drinking, anti-drinking and driving in the same format tools to to present to the kids absolutely well, what's the challenge is it's very clear what smoking is it's very clear what drinking is and that and the pros and cons but i think with my view is the challenge this is this would be the challenge for the pr person this would be the brief it's floating anxiety number one and it's identity <laughs> because identity is going to come from one of two places it's going to come from human interaction which we had growing up or you can be very fluid online and you can create an identity and if people attack it, it can, it can hurt you. Artificial intimacy might be the word. How do you yes. educate kids about artificial in, uh, intimacy? Because what you present online is clearly not reality and vice versa. Now we have the two worlds you know, hitting together. Mm -hmm. I, I worry, like for coming back to Facebook for a minute, their next play is this metaverse. So can you imagine if you've ever watched the Disney film WALL-E where everyone's <laughs> just sitting in a chair, you know, pushing buttons all day and they have no muscles. Um, mm. My view, and, and this is what we try with our children, is very much to try and balance it out. They love doing physical stuff. They like doing music, drawing, you know, physical stuff. But mm -hmm. they, like, they like to check out and watch videos as well. They certainly are not on Snapchat and TikTok just yet. Too young. Um, 
too young, but I know that day will come. Will they be in high school and, and all that kind of stuff? And, and the, 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 the scale of it is, is the scary part. So again, coming back to how do we crack this as educator and parent, my thought was around the floating anxiety, the, the, how do we help with that? How do we point out how identities are, are artificial online? How do we prevent bullying? How do we teach empathy? And it seems that might be the way, like, how do you teach empathy online is a big one. Uh, and I've had a couple of conversations and guests on Spark Hub where we talk about the importance of empathy. In fact, in Denmark, they teach it as a core curriculum, as relationships. And and I know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, in France, don't they try and teach you how to be a good citizen? Is that not part of the French teaching? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the French system, as I said, it's quite rigid. So like holistic teaching, it's so important. Empathy, it is so important. But I mean, I don't want to sound really negative about this but bullying is a is a foreign concept in france it's a part of growing up Uh, but no it will pass don't worry it will pass that's not bullying so they don't have a true definition so yes being a good citizen is you know um yeah it's a part of their curriculum it is a part of their curriculum but i mean empathy Empathy is not a part of our curriculum. There's, yeah, the empathy week, but it's up to the educator to how much you want to spend time or how much you want to incorporate the notion of empathy into your curriculum. And empathy is the start of many, many things. It's so important. But online, how do you achieve it? Very difficult. Very, very difficult. Um, So you were talking about Facebook, and then we went on to Snapchat and TikTok. I remember with Facebook, the more friends you have, the cooler you were when my daughter was growing up. And if she had 1,500 friends, she didn't know most of them. And now on Instagram, the more likes you have, the cooler you think you are. But that you don't know half of the people who like your posts. So it's a very, it's a, it's a dangerous territory out there. And it ends up with us parents, I think, to explain to the kids this artificial identity. Yeah, they see you on a, I don't know, next to the beach and you get 700 likes, but that's not you. You don't live by that beach. You're not there. It was just a part of your little holiday in real. You know, it's it's a fake world. <laughs> And it's scary. See, I do see hope, though. I do, you know, like I say, I see that every generation shuns the, you know, the addictions of the past. I am seeing, and this is more an adult level, but there's bars now where you have to lock your phone away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have to go and interact with humans. And it, 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 so I guess where one of the things I wanted to pick up on is how do we teach empathy? Well, in my opinion, and again, I look to you as the educator. Uh, there's scenarios, right? Scenario, there's playing, play it, you know, kids play, they send signals to each other through play. And that's how they learn the the rules. That's how they know if they like you or not. Online, it's a, as you say, it's transactional. Um, it's likes, it's, it's comments, it's almost um, analytics. You want to look mm-hmm. at your analytics and see how you're mm-hmm. performing, which is horrendous. However, I, what I wonder is, in school, would they not start to teach empathy through through role play to say okay today you're gonna you know again make it overt you're the bully you're the victim now reverse because i do find that if you get children to think about the other person you say okay pretend you're this pretend you're that 
not all kids will play, not all kids want to do that. But even if they're just in the audience watching this, it strikes me that that's, you know, one way to look at it is to involve role play and even start to show screens to say, look, this person has this many likes and this person has this many likes and does it matter? Does it, does it, you know, is it the quality of it? So I, you know, there's, I'm not coming up with any solutions, but I do wonder if, you know, to confront this, both as parents and as educators, we try to incorporate more play. We try to incorporate demonstrations. We try to point stuff out. They're going to look at videos anyway. And another observation I have is, I think, I can't remember where I read it, but it said, and this is more for boys. I mean, it may be for girls too, but I understood that as boys grow up, they need a male role model. Now, usually it's the father to begin with, but as they get into teenagehood, they need other role models because dad's not cool. Even Bono from U2 once said, I'm a rock star, but my kids think I'm an idiot, you know? Yeah. So they need other role models. And so that, that, that gets me into another space to say, okay, now it's about identifying not only the toolkit, the playing, the empathy, but who are the other role models you can emulate? And I certainly don't want them emulating Instagram or YouTube influencers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's only a certain amount of those and that's not a future-proof game <laughs> to do. Yeah. You know, you well, football players are big um, role models. For, I mean, I'm talking as an educator from what I see with my kids. We, when, we were, when we were studying biographies, most of them did it on football players. The Rock is a, the, what's his name? The big guy, The Rock. He is like a Ryan. big, yeah, he's like Ryan a big Johnson. role model for our boys, for, for, my, for the kids. I mean, uncles are, grandfathers are, but role, yeah. I mean, they're into football players. <laughs> and as when you, when you mentioned role playing, they do that in elementary. So they do come, they do start junior high or high school with the, with a clear understanding of how important it is to be empathetic towards others, put yourself in their place. So they, they understand that. Like we have, with my kids, I study different education systems in the different parts of the world. And so I asked them, so how do you come to school? And he's like, oh, well, I bring my scooter uh, or I come with my scooter, I take the bus, or my mom drops me. So it's a very easy um, voyage for them to come to school, commute. And then we look at some, BBC has this great um, documentary about dangerous schools in the world. And some of these kids, they have to, I don't know, hike or walk for miles and miles and cross a river just to have an education. And whenever we watch that, the kids are like, Really? And I'm like, this is how important education is. And this is what these kids persevere. And they, they go through hell to just set foot in a school, in a classroom, where there's a 5-year-old, 7-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. And it, the kids then, they do realize how lucky they are. And they're like, ah, Oh, wow, that's why you were asking how we, because when you ask them, they're like, oh, well, what do you think? I take the train? I'm like, I don't know. Tell me. Tell me, how do you commute to school? And it does give them a perspective because we're tiny in, on this earth. I mean, the, you know, we're the blessed ones. We're the lucky ones. But there's so many others who really have it tough. And, I mean, when I talk with my kids, and I, I feel that they do understand they do understand. Not all of them, of course. You're always going to have one or two that are outside the box, let's say, or, you know, 
but they 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 feel it they yeah they're aware they're aware that they're lucky <laughs> a perspective and awareness i think is is two key words there is teaching both those things for parents and teachers as well teachers. yeah yeah absolutely um, so yeah chaylin that's been a, a fascinating uh journey through multiple countries multiple professions multiple challenges and i and i think you know the one thing i'm taking away from this is parents and educators alike are dealing with this in real time um and so it's important to to as a you know develop empathy uh, awareness and and perspective and and we all have to keep pushing away and sharing content and finding mm -hmm. solutions and um yeah thank you so much for for talking to me today i really appreciate your time my pleasure my pleasure and i think parents and educators have to work together yeah that's really important open communication if we're worried about a kid we get in touch with the parent the parent needs to trust our instincts as well well we need to we need, we need to collaborate and share toolkits is is what and and that's sort of what i'm trying to do with spark hub is create a, a hub where people can come and find tools for mm. these type of things so Amazing. i really appreciate your contribution to that discussion it was my pleasure thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast uh, if you like what you hear you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com <laughs>